about how to build a church. We know that the book of Nehemiah is probably the best book in the Bible that really shows us how to build a church because it's found in the Old Testament. And now you might think that the best books about building the church, since the church is in the New Testament, would be a book in the New Testament. That's not necessarily true. The Old Testament is a book written that shows you by examples and by uh, pictures exactly what we need to do. And we've already talked about it a little bit, quite a bit as a matter of fact, as we've come through chapter 3. We know the book of Nehemiah, they go back and they rebuild the walls. That walls are the defenses around that city. And that city represents, of Jerusalem represents what the church represents today. The program of God in the Old Testament was the nation of Israel centered in Jerusalem. God's program for the New Testament is the body of Christ centered around a local church by which it reaches out to the world, to its community, to your friends, your family, and uh, in time uh, bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to edify them. There's nine gates. These nine gates are in disarray in Nehemiah's time city of Jerusalem has been destroyed, has been laid waste by the sieges of Nebuchadnezzar and Shennacherib as they came down and literally destroyed that city of the times that the Gentiles ushered in. But yet we begin to see that God allows them to go back and rebuild. And the rebuilding is a picture of how to build a church. Nine gates, nine being the number of fruitfulness. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Nine gates that are on this wall by which people enter into the city. And just by a wild coincidence, those same nine gates represent nine things that this church needs to have. Any church needs to have. We talked about it the first week. We talked about the sheep gate. We talked about the aspect of sacrifice. Every church needs to understand that, that, uh, that part of it. We talked about the next week, the fish gate. How that a church needs to be a soul winning church, winning people to Christ. Last week, we talked about the old gate. We talked about how that uh, this church and other churches need to leave a heritage, a legacy. Need to have people, young people growing up, understand the price that was paid for what we believe, the Bible that we use, the, the, the doctrines that we teach, and a heritage from the Lord, of a history from the Lord of where we have come from. And today we're going to talk about the valley gate, found in verse 13. And it says this, The valley gate repaired Hanan, the inhabitants of Zenoah, they built it, they set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall under the dung gate. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We ask you today, Lord, to give us a good time in your word. We thank you, Father, for the book. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for those that are here today. We pray, Father, that the word of God will be a challenge to them in everything that we do this morning, that they'll come away today a little stronger in the Lord. And, Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, I want to have you a little participation here this morning. Uh, I want you to find for me Proverbs chapter 27, verse uh, 23. Okay, Phil, you do that for me. I'm going to have him read that verse here in a minute. Now, the valley gate deals with the aspect of this church has to have of its compassion for people. People get in the valleys of life. We all go through the tough times in life, whether it's with your kids whether it's maybe you lose your job, your own personal problems, or maybe it's just a, uh, a thing we all go through in human nature where we have the struggles of life. A church needs to be set up that it deals with those kind of issues. We need to be a church that has compassion. We need to be a church that preaches the Word of God, hard preaching from the Word of God, that preaches against sin, that preaches against all the things that the church stands for. Yet at the same time, we never want to become judgmental of the fact that we don't have a compassionate heart for people. People in the church, in the ministry, people are going to have struggles. 
They're going to have heartaches. They're going to come into our, our group with all kinds of problems, with all kinds of baggage. They're going to have all kinds of circumstances in life that they've had to struggle through. And we as a church are not going to be apt to stand there and be judgmental. This church will never point their finger at anybody and be down on them because of where they're at or what they've done or where they've come from. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've done. All I care about is right now in your life, do you want to do what God wants you to do? And if that is the case, then it's my job and the job of this church to help you get there to be everything that God wants you to be. I want to talk about, about this valley gate. The first thing I want to talk about is, is, is my job. And Phil, stand up and read that verse for me real loud. You've got a good voice. The Bible says, be thou diligent. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well nigh unto thy herds. Now, whether you know it or not, you're the flock. You're also the herd. And my job as pastor is to be diligent in looking to your welfare. My job is to look at the flock that God has given me and to make sure that uh, they have everything that they need. My job is to make sure that when I get up here and preach, that uh, I bring you something that's going to satisfy your soul and help you in your everyday life. It doesn't do me any good, and I know that the ministry is a balance. There'll be times that we'll preach on prophecy. There'll be times that we'll preach on uh, certain issues. But balancing out the ministry and the preaching has to be for one reason. That is the fact that you get everything that you need. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but the Bible affects your physical body. The Bible affects your emotional being. And the Bible affects your spiritual being. There's three aspects to you as a human being. And when God designed the Bible and designed preaching, He designed it that, that it would have an effect on those three areas of your life. Now, when a person doesn't do what's right, for whatever reason, maybe they've never been saved or maybe they got saved and backslid, I don't know, and I don't care. But I know this. Living a life in the world, living a life with worldly things, will bring you to the state where you're, uh, you're a mess emotionally where you're a mess physically, and when you're a mess spiritually. This world, and dealing with the valley gate here, people are going to come into this church in those, with those kinds of problems. They're going to be emotionally distraught. They're going to be spiritually deficient. And they're going to be physically handicapped in some way, because, let me tell you something, sin doesn't leave you any better than it finds you. And you're going to come to the place where people come in here, that they're going to have those kinds of problems in their life. The valley gate reaching out with compassion to deal with people in their problems. Reaching out with compassion, being, uh, looking at the state of your flock, understanding, first of all, that you people are number one. You're here. You're the ones that God has brought here today. You're the ones that decided to come up, get up, and go to church today. You're the ones that decided that there was something of a value here that you need to have. So my first and foremost is for you. You're number one. Sure, I want to help everybody I can, but not everybody's here today. You are. And I'm going to start with you. That's what the church is all about. That's what this valley gate is all about. Now, you all look like you're doing good today. You all look like you're on top of things. But you know what? That may not last long. Something may happen this week. You may lose your job. You may have a death in the family, God forbid. Something may go wrong. You may have a spiritual crisis in your life. I don't want you to dial 911 unless somebody's breaking into your house. I don't want you to call family services. I don't want you to call Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, you know, and, and try to get some kind of psychology help. If you're saved, 
and you belong to God, then you need to call the man that God has put in your life to help you through those times. That's me. That's what we're here for. You are number one when it comes to the valley gate. I'm going to help everybody I can, but as long as you're part of this New Testament church, as long as you're coming here, and as long as you're uh, supporting this work by being here and praying for us and all the other things that go along with it, you're going to be the number one priority on my list that whatever you need spiritually, physically, emotionally, that's going to be my task. Why? That's my job, to look to the state of my flocks, to look well nigh to the herds. That is my job. I have to meet the needs of the people that God has given me. I really believe this with all of my heart. I believe that as long as a man, and I believe that building, I've heard all kinds of seminars, you know, they have today where you go and you learn how to build a church. And everybody has their own idea. And the church today has lost the value system that God set down. So we'll do anything to get people to come. Let me tell you something. Just because you have a large crowd in a big building doesn't mean you have a New Testament Bible-believing local church. Doesn't mean that at all. Anybody can get a crowd today. But I'm telling you this, I do believe this, I do believe that God will not give you any more than you'll take care of. And I believe my job is to start here with the valley gate, working with the people that God has given me, people will come in, I will train you on Monday nights, we'll have time together in the Word of God through our, our different uh, various things we have when we study the Bible together in time, you're going to grow spiritually. Some of you are already there. Some of you right now, if somebody came in here and, and they were struggling uh, with something, you're able to help them. I love, I love last Thursday night in our Bible study. Kind of a unique thing. And, I, and this has got to be God. I mean, this is all there is to it. We're down here and we started the Bible study and we're about 15, 20 minutes into it and a nice looking couple, young couple comes in. And I, I didn't know who it was. I thought, I mean, I thought they were part of the Steinmetz's family. Everybody in the world related to the Steinmetz's. I mean, they're, half this crowd is Steinmetz's related somehow. That's okay. I appreciate it. And I thought, surely, you know, there's some uh, Jimmy's or Pam's or, you know, somebody's fourth removed, fifth place cousin from the other side of the tracks. So I, I, I just figured they were, somebody related to them. So I didn't think much about it. And, and afterwards, afterwards. I, I, I talked to the guy, and he told me that they had come here because they heard there was some missionary speaking. And they drove in and came in, and they were down here, and they talked to some people down here, and they, they said, well, there's nobody here that's preaching from Africa in our mission night, but there's a guy right down here, if you want to go to a Bible study, that'll really meet your needs. And so they showed up in Bible study. We had a great time with them, and probably they'll be back, and probably we'll have an opportunity to, uh, uh, to help them. Now, the thing that I'm trying to get at, and the most important thing, was not the fact that they come. Though I know that, I mean, here we are in Podunk 40 Highway, nowhere from nowhere, and God brings them here, looking for somebody that isn't here, and gives them somebody that is here. Now, that's God. But more important to me than that was after the Bible study was over, oh, I saw my lady just move right in and sit down and talk with them. First this one, first that one, and then this one. Then the guys going to the guy, and everybody was just, you know what they were saying? And now they weren't going up and saying, uh, well, hi, how are you? I got a lot of spiritual problems. Are you here? You know, you did. No, that wasn't what they were doing. They were loving them. They were just talking to them and being there with them and being friendly with them. And let me tell you something. That's where the valley gate starts. I hope there's never a person that comes through that door that somebody doesn't say to them and talk with them. And, and genuinely, I'm not saying it's a canned thing that we do. You are the most genuine people that I know. And I know, I know when you, when I see one of my ladies or one of my guys talking to somebody, I know that deep down inside they're doing it because they love people. That's where it's at. 
We don't have a lot of tricks that we try to get people to come. We just preach the Bible. I don't, I, I'm not part of this modern movement that, that you've got to have something, you know, in a big screen with all the Bible verses on it so you don't have to bring your Bible and the, and the songs up there so you don't have to open up a hymnal. Let me tell you something. I always want you to bring your Bible. I always want you to open up your hymnal. That's just the way it's supposed to be. And, and I, we'll never be that. I still believe with all of my heart. And Jesus said, that he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And I believe if a man preaches the Bible, believes the Bible, and loves people, and exalts and lifts up Christ, God will take care of everything else. I believe that. I believe that's how you build it in the book of Acts. I believe that's how they build it in the middle of Philadelphia church age. And I believe in and over in the midst of the time that we are, where the gates are knocked off the church walls today, and people are not getting what they need. Let me tell you something. I still believe that God will still do it the way He's always done it. And that's the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it just like it is in the Bible. And that's the only way I know how to do it. And I believe that God will honor that. So, the gate, the valley gate, compassion toward people. You have, you have emotional needs, you have physical needs, and you have spiritual needs. My job is to take the Bible and to feed you. Now, I, I, as I say, and I, I don't know all what you know about the Bible. I, I don't, you know, know where you're at with the Word of God, but I do know this. I know the Bible is a balanced diet that you need to have. I know that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible is likened to milk. Babies need milk. So when babies come in here, young Christians, uh, I try to cut that thing where they can go away that anybody leave, no matter where they're at, can get something from the Word of God. Over in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible is likened to meat. Back in Psalms 119, verse 103, it's likened to honey. Over in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 2, it's likened to apples. In John chapter 4, it's likened to water. Luke chapter 4, verse 4, it's likened to bread. And in Psalms chapter 78, verse 24, it's likened to vegetables. You know what you have? The Bible is a complete diet for your emotional, for your spiritual, and for your physical well-being. It's everything you need. Everything you need. My job is to make sure you eat right. That's the job of every parent. That's what you want your kids to do. Uh, you know, uh, everybody today is concerned about nutrition. I mean, it used to be called uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now they call it KFC because they don't want to put the word fried there where anybody will read it because fried foods are bad. I still like the chicken. I don't care. He runs the Kentucky Fried Chicken. I, you can bring me some anytime. I like it. I eat it no matter what. No matter what you call it. Original. I don't like the crispy. I like the original. Everybody is health conscious, and probably rightly so. There isn't a thing that go, day that goes by that the Food and Drug Administration doesn't say that something's going to give you cancer. Everything you eat. I can tell you right now, I'm not sure where you're at with God. I'm not sure where you're at with the Bible. I'm not sure where you're at anywhere, but I know this about everybody here. We're all going to die of cancer because whatever you eat is going to kill you in time. According to the Food and Drug Administration. Everything. Everything is bad. I mean, uh, pretty soon you're going to see warnings on your mom's apple pie that is hazardous to your health. Everything in this country they're saying is not good. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. I know this. This country eats terrible. I mean, it's a sad thing when you can go to McDonald's and eat a bunch of that fat food and get out that and get 400 pounds and you sue McDonald's because you're overweight and you're not healthy and it's their fault? I don't think so. Parents want their kids to eat right. When I was growing up, it was Wonder Bread. Build strong bodies 12 ways. It was all kinds of things. We were conscious about what we ate. Today we don't care. And America is paying the price for it. But I want you to know this. 
My job is to make sure you eat right, spiritually. I mean spiritually. You have, when you come to Old Pass Baptist Church, you have your own personal cook. I spend hours a week perfecting this filet mignon that I'm giving you this morning. I spend time going through there that I put together the best party tray you ever had. When you come and eat here, as the old song says, come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table anytime. And the Bible is a book that is a feast. It's unsearchable. It's an ongoing smorgasbord to make Colonel Billy water in his mouth, man. He used to have a little, I remember Colonel Billy. All right, bad choice. Nobody knows Colonel Billy. Anyway, but Betty Crocker would be standing in line to eat here, I promise you. But it's a book that gives you everything that you need. And in the valley gate, people come in, they're down, they're hurting. They're hurting for one reason. I don't care what their problems are. I don't care where they've been. You can take and spend five or six hours telling me all about your situation, all about your problems, and I can have 20, 30 people tell me different stories, and the answer for all of them would be the same. Start eating right. Start eating the right things spiritually. You've spent too long as a junk food Christian. You spent too long dieting and eating the world's, all the world's stuff that it gives you, all the slop the world wants you to have. You've spent too much time digesting all of the things the world has. You've not eaten right. And I don't care if you're saved or you're lost. If your life's in a mess this morning, it's simply because it started with what you've been eating because everything you take into your body has an effect on you physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And you eat the right things, you're going to have the right balance. You eat the wrong things, you're going to have the wrong balance. And bang, you're going to wind up, wind up in the valley gate. I don't know what you're depressed about this morning. I don't know what you're struggling with. I'm saying probably in a crowd this size, there's some people that are struggling. I mean, you all look nice and you all look smiles on your face, but that can be deceiving. We put on an act. We all do. We all want to look our best, but deep down inside, we, we hide the real struggles. And I understand that's just human nature. But I know in time there'll be people come in that'll be visibly distraught. They'll have problems that go down very deep. And we'll have to deal with them on a regular basis and try to help them, but I'm going to tell you something, the answer will always be the same. We may have to vary it a little bit from person to person, personality to personality, but the answer will always be the same. Start eating right. Daniel chapter 1 has always been a favorite of mine in the Bible. Daniel's always been a favorite of mine. If we'd ever had a boy, we'd have called him Daniel or David. Maybe Daniel David, I don't know. I got one boy named Daniel, we're going to change Jason's name to... Uh, uh, to, uh, to David, and then I'll be happy. But anyway, Daniel chapter 1 is a great story. Now, Daniel is a book that talks about a young Jewish boy who was taken cap captive by the nation of Babylon. And he's taken down into Babylon, never to see his home again, never to see his family. As far as we know from the account, he's down there 70 years, he dies in Babylon, and he never sees his family again. But while he's down there, it's a beautiful picture of your life and my life as a believer and the things that we're faced with in this life. Because the Bible says, and I'm just going to tell you the story for the sake of time this morning, the Bible said that Daniel was taken captive down there, and they are the very best, Daniel and his friends are the very best young men that Israel has to offer. Now it also says, that it doesn't say who, but somebody taught Daniel the Bible. Daniel knows the Word of God. The Bible says they're cunning in knowledge. They understand science. They have a good grasp of the Old Testament. And they really know the Bible. 
Somebody spend some time with those boys. When they get down in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar sends somebody down to give them a daily portion of the king's meat. He wants them to start to eat the food of Babylon. Now, Babylon represents the world system. Babylon, for us, represents the devil's crowd. And that food, that daily portion that he wanted to give to the children of God, was just like the world today wanting to give you a daily portion of its junk that will destroy your life and make you just like the world. Nebuchadnezzar had a timetable. He said, you feed these boys the food from Babylon. You feed them. And they're going to stand before me in a period of time, and we're going to look how my stuff and my food and my meat has changed them. Now, the food from Babylon was, was, was the devil's crowd's food. It was meat offered to false idols. It suggested all the filth and ungodliness that went along with the nation of Babylon at that time. And Daniel, the Bible says, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a king's meat. He says, I'm not going to eat what the world wants to give me. And he stayed eating with what God gave him. Now Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, here's what we'll do. We're going to feed all these other people my food. We're going to let you eat what God wants you to eat. And in ten days, we're going to compare it, and we're going to see who's better. A little test. So the other people, they ate all that the devil had for them and all that the world and Nebuchadnezzar had for them. Daniel, he stayed with what God wanted to eat. And at the end of ten days, they brought him to a place where they put him side by side. And the Bible says after ten days that the children of Israel were fairer and fatter. In fact, it says they were ten times better than the other people. Let me tell you something. You'll not beat this book. This book will make you ten times better spiritually, physically, and emotionally than anybody else or whatever they eat. I don't care. It's sickened me today that you go, uh, most people go to churches, and when they get to the valley gate in their life, they go in to see the pastor. And the pastor's a very prestigious guy because it's a very prestigious offer, office. And uh, they come in and they'll say, Pastor, uh, you know, we're struggling with this. We're having problems in our marriage. I'm having problems with this. My wife's having problems with this. We need help. Now, that's what the church is for. That's the valley gate. That's the valley gate. You come to this church. And uh, you tie to this church. You support this church. You pray for this church. So you come in to see the pastor. You sit down in this office and he, 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 you go through all your problems and what does he do? In most cases, he's going to send you to somebody else. He's going to subcontract you out to some Christian psychologist. He's going to send you to some Christian counselor that specializes in your problem. In other words, he's going to give you the old Baptist two-step brush-off shuffle because he's busy being a pastor. And he don't have time to deal with your rinky-dinky problem. He may tell you something like, well, I know I'm not really qualified for that particular area, but I know a professional over here that will really be able to help you. In other words, what he's saying is, you know what? You're not my kind of people. I like to stand up in front of everybody on Sunday, and I like to preach, and I like to get paid big bucks, and I like to drive my nice car and my $5,000 suits and have all this big building. But when it really comes down to getting my hands dirty with a common, ordinary people... I'm going to subcontract you out. Shame on you for that kind of attitude. It's that kind of people that builds every church. Let me tell you something. There have been no churches built by millionaires. 
Oh, you may, you may see him portrayed, you know, when somebody wants to, uh, you know, get something going, and they may bring in somebody that donated millions and millions of dollars to a ministry. But let me tell you something. Churches traditionally are built by men and women who sweat and who work and who scrape and sacrifice, and that is part of the process of growing spiritually. And through that, God honors it, and God brings a church to the place where it learns some lessons. It never forgets how it got to where it's at. Let me tell you something. God help this church to ever get to the place where maybe it runs four or five hundred people and we get so big that we forget the time we were meeting in the old pavilion over here and we were scraping and scratching for everything we could get. God help us never forget that. That's where it starts. That's where the valley gate is. God help us to ever come to the place where anybody in this room or comes through that door that needs help, that we send them someplace else. That's our job. That's my job. I don't want to spend my rest of my life ministering to inanimate objects. I don't want to run around chasing people who don't want to get caught. We're spending time running out here uh, doing all kinds of pastoral things, meeting with all the other big pastors, having lunches and breakfasts, and talking around and, 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 and telling all kinds of stories you know about your ministry and all that. My, my life is right here with you. We're in this together. I'm your pastor. You're my people. And together we will sink or swim. We'll make it or break it. But we'll do it based on what this book says. And my life will be given to you and I'll die if God gives me the opportunity and time to stand here preaching to you, helping you be the very best man and woman God wants you to be. After ten days, they brought Daniel and the others together. Daniel and the children of Israel were ten times better. So that book is the right diet. And when somebody gets down into the valley gate, the valley gate will be a place where people come in that are hurting. That doesn't mean you don't preach hard. That doesn't mean you don't lay out the Word of God directly. But it means you have the compassion in your heart that you'll take somebody right where they're at. Most preachers want you to clean your life up, clean yourself up, Get rid of your problems, and then we'll accept you. Let me tell you something. I'll take you right where you're at. I won't stand at the top of the spiritual stairs and look down to the spiritual basement and say, come on up here and be with us. I'll walk down those stairs and take you in arms, and I'll walk you up those steps one step at a time to get you to be where God wants you to be. We're in this together. We're in this together. We will sink or swim together, but we are in this together. And the book of Nehemiah says there needs to be a valley gate. There needs to be a gate of compassion that when people come in, that we meet their needs, that we love them, that we're there for them. That what you see is what you get. There's no false agendas. Because this world is filled with junk food Christians. This world and all it has to offer in its daily proportion is just like it was in Nebuchadnezzar's time. And it will destroy you spiritually. It will destroy you emotionally. And it will destroy you physically. And it will leave you wrecked and ruined in your life and your marriage with your kids. And people walk around despondent wondering what went wrong when it's so simple and basic. You've just been eating off the wrong table. Oh, this book will be everything you need. It'll take the most malnourished Christian and make him strong. It'll take the weakest man and give him power. It'll take the frailest woman and give her the ability to stand and be everything God wants her to be. It'll take the most sickly Christian in this world and give them the, 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 the fortitude to stand before God and do something for God. 
Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And that's where America's at. That's where American Christians are at. That's where the world is at. They, they're emotionally busted and broke because they've let their spirit run wild. They've tried and done and allowed themselves to do everything without any restraint. 20, 30 years later, boy, they pay the price for it. They pay the price for it. You say, good for them. No, sir, boy, let me tell you something. We all can look back in our past and see where we screwed up big time. Don't you ever point your finger at anybody and say, well, they're there because that's what they deserve. Uh-uh, man, let me tell you something. They're there because of this old world. Maybe they made some bad choices. Maybe they did some stupid things. Is there anybody here that ain't done stupid things? You take them and you love them. You take what you've learned from where you're at and go back and help them every step of the way. But point them to the fact that it's the book. It's the book. It's the Word of God. Nothing in this world that's, that's outside the local church and the Word of God will solve a man's problems. It's the book. It's the book. Take your Bibles and turn back to Second Chronicles. I want to show you another man in the Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 16. Now back in 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 2, you're going to find a bunch of lists of kings. And these are the kings of Israel after David. There's some good kings, there's some bad kings. They start with the sons of Solomon, and then they go on down through there. But what it is, Kings and Chronicles, is the recording of the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. God gives you great detail about some of them. He just says a few words about other ones. But every one of them is a case point to study. Every one of them will show you something about your life or something you're going to struggle with in life or something that you've been through in life. They'll give you great insight. These are the leaders of the nation of Israel. Like I said, Israel after Solomon begins to degrade. Solomon's two boys split the kingdom and things go downhill from there. And as you read through Kings and Chronicles, you'll find there's a good king, two bad ones, maybe a good one, and then five more bad ones. But Israel begins to degenerate to the place that it brings us up to Daniel with the destruction of Jerusalem and the times of the Gentiles and the captivity that uh, we've talked about already. But here's a man called Asa. And Asa is a unique king. And I love to study the kings of Israel from a practical standpoint because it shows us in principle so many things we need to learn. Now, we've been talking about a valley gate. We've been talking about people with problems. We've been talking about people with needs. We've been talking about this church hanging up on its wall, the, the valley gate, right next to, the, right next to the, uh, the, the, uh, the old gate, right next to the sheep gate, right next to the fish gate. One more gate this church puts into effect for people to come through that have needs. Now look at Asa. Now he starts out being a good king. But look what happens to him. And this kind of, these, there's a lot more on him here, but these three or four verses here, starting with verse 11, really say all we need to say today. And behold, the acts of Asa, first and last, though they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa, in the thirty and ninth year of his reign, was diseased in his feet. Now, let me just stop there a minute. He's diseased in his feet. He's diseased in his feet. Now, I don't know if you know what that means spiritually or not. That means for you and me, that translates to this. He started to have a problem with his walk with God. The disease was in his feet. 
The Bible says, walk in the light as he is in the light, having fellowship one with another. Your daily walk with God, when you start to get diseased in your feet, you start to have some problems with your walk with God. Asa started out as a good king. He did a lot of right things, and then he gets diseased in his feet. He starts to have some problems in his walk, just like I will, you will, I have, you will, have, you have had. And he starts to have, uh, he starts to have some problems. And in the 39th year of his reign, he was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceedingly great. It got worse and worse and worse and worse. Look what he did. Yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. He thought there was somebody greater than God that could help him. He said to himself, I got a problem with my walk with God, but I'm not going to take it to God or God's program or God's man. I'm going to take it to the physician. I'm going to take it to the psychologist. I'm going to take it to the Christian counselor. I'm going to take it to the psychiatrist. I'm going to take it to the world. I'm going to try to get... And the Bible says that he died. He died. He died. Let me tell you something, my friend. This book has everything you need to fix any problem you're going to get into. I don't care what it is. It has everything you need. I've dealt with people and their problems for nigh on to probably 40 years. And if there's anything I've said more than anything else, and I repeat it over and over again, and some of you, you've heard this a thousand times, but it bears to hear it again. When somebody would come in and they'd talk to me, and they would tell me their story, maybe it's a husband and a wife going through marital problems. Maybe it's some young man coming in and he's just struggling with something. Maybe drugs, alcohol, I don't know. Maybe it's some gal, she's come in and she's got some kind of problem. I let him go, let him talk. I'll let them get it all out of their system because that's good for them and I need to know where they're at. But it really doesn't make any difference where they're at. I'm going to give the same answer to them that I give to everybody. Now I may have to fix it a little bit here or put some little things in different here or may have to adjust a little bit. But the bottom line is I've already said the problem is their diet. I always say this. I've said this at least 100,000 times and I'm not exaggerating. I say, you know what? They're all done now. They've told me their problem. I said, let me ask you a question. How stupid would this be? I go home this afternoon and my wife says to me, Honey, the refrigerator's not working. Well, being the great home man mechanic that I am, and seeing how it's probably going to cost me two or $300 for somebody to come out and tell me something's wrong with it, it's not really wrong with it, and then just kind of rip me off, I'm going to try to fix it myself. So what do I do? Well, the first thing you do, find the owner's manual that came with the refrigerator. Because every appliance you buy today is going to have an owner's manual with it. Your car has one. It tells you about all the little buttons on there, you know, that you don't know. And your microwave has one. Your refrigerator has one. And it tells you, you know, your camera has one. It starts out something like this. If you got a camera, it says troubleshooting. Take picture. No picture shows up. Check batteries. Is lens uncovered? They get dumber as you go down because you get dumber as they go down. Did you really pick the camera up? You didn't. No, you come right down the line. So I look through the kitchen and I'm looking through the drawers, you know, as organized as my drawers are, trying to find everything. And I finally come up the steps and I got a little book in my hand and my wife says, well, did you find it, honey? And I said, no, I didn't. I didn't find a handbook for the refrigerator, but I got the one for the microwave. She looks at me, she says, Honey, I love you. Are you telling me you're going to try to fix the refrigerator with a handbook from the microwave? Well, sure. 
Bob, I, I love you to death. Just let me, don't take this wrong. That's my wife's favorite expression. Don't take this wrong. That's ridiculous. How are you going to fix the refrigerator with a handbook from the microwave? They're two different designs. They don't even have the same function. And it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. And I've used that example a thousand times because it's, it is ludicrous and it's ridiculous and it'll never happen. But let me just say this to you. I stand a better chance of fixing my refrigerator with a handbook from the microwave than you do trying to run your life outside the handbook and the guidebook that God gave for human beings to operate by. See, God made you. And when God made you, he said, you know what? They're going to be problematic little wind creatures. These carbon-14 units are going to have all kinds of little malfunctions in them. So I'm going to write an owner's manual and a handbook that's going to tell them exactly that when the light doesn't come on, check this. When the picture doesn't show up, look here. And I'm going to give them an owner's manual and a handbook that's going to tell them everything about life and give them everything they do. And not only that, it's going to be a spiritual cookbook. I'm going to show them how to handpick the diet for them spiritually that's going to give them everything they need. Let me tell you something. Trying to fix your problems in your life with another manual outside the one God gave you is impossible. It ha this book has everything in it that you need. This book has everything in it to fix any problem that you've ever had, that you have right now, or you even contemplate having. It'll take care of you no matter what. Our job is to take care of what God gives us. My job is to stand here in my living room, in our Bible study, in your home, wherever God lays us out, and my job is to take this Bible and to always give you the very best I can to help you get spiritually, physically, and emotionally everything you need. Every person that comes in at that, in that valley gate, Every person that comes in, we need to look at as somebody that God has given us that we're going to rally around, we're going to help, we're going to be there, and we're going to take the owner's manual for that unit, and we are going to help them figure out and understand exactly where they're at and how they get out of the situation they get at, they get, they've gotten into. Taking care of what God gives in you. Reach out to those who are out. Building a church today, my friend, is easier than ever. It's easier than ever. I've read all kinds of stuff. I've had guys tell me, well, it's a lot different now, you know. It's got a lot harder today than it used to be. Let me tell you something. I believe it's easier today than it ever was. Because I people people's problems are a lot worse today. And let me tell you something. If a whole if a whole if a whole city had some uncurable disease, and there was only one or two doctors in that whole city that had the cure for that disease that believed in the cure? Well, you get a lot of people coming to get you when they start to see and the things start working and this person's really doing well. Well, let me tell you something. I believe a book. I believe this book will fix any problem you've got. And I believe that when you just stand on this book and you preach this book and you take this book and you give it to people, God, without a sign out front. He proved it last Thursday night. I have no sign out here. There were some people that just, God just said, get in your car you think there's somebody over here that you want to hear? I got somebody I want you to hear. Brought him right in. God could do that. Somebody said, well, why don't he bring a hundred that way today? Because we ain't ready for him yet. God will give you never any more than you're going to deal with. He'll give them to you. It's like somebody said one time, you know, sure, God gives, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. No question about it. But sometimes he just gives it to you one hamburger at a time. God just does it in his own timing. 
in his own way. When you're ready, there's people right here, right now, that God prepare in your heart that someday somebody's going to come in that door and I'm going to say to you, hey, can you work with this person for me and help them? Be the greatest thing God ever does in your life. Some of you already can do that. Some of you are not too far from doing that. Some of you, someplace down the line, you'll be doing exactly that. You know why? That's the job of this church. That's the job of this church. The job of this church is to reproduce itself. My job is to reproduce myself into you. Your job is to reproduce yourself into somebody else. We do that by accepting people where they're at, hand in hand, and we go from there. Hard preaching from a compassionate heart when you meet people at the valley gate. My job is to build you, exhort you, encourage you, rebuke you, and to help you. And uh, when we find ourselves at the valley gate, shaking hands and meeting people, and somebody comes in, we just take this old book. And we do exactly what you hear a thousand times a day on the radio and the television. Oh, come to our fitness center, we'll give you a personal trainer. That personal trainer will make sure you do your reps right, he'll make sure you do all the right exercises, he'll do everything for you, he'll work right with you, and you'll, and you'll, and, it, and it, you know what? It works. It works. When you get somebody that keeps you accountable and helps you there, it, it works. Because we as individuals, we're not too accountable to ourselves sometimes. You can go now where they have, they have diet places where a person can go and, and you know, and they, they work. They work. Everybody, everybody wants to cash in on people's weaknesses and say, you know what, let me put a team around you that will help you accomplish your goal in all the areas that really don't matter in eternity. What matters in eternity is where your soul's at. And the teams that we want to build, the job that we want to do, won't just get you through this life, it'll get you beyond this life into eternity with God forever. That's our job. That's our job. The Valley Gate. We're building a church. That church has to have these gates. We have to have gates that, that people understand about sacrifice. They have to have a gate that people comes in and they understand about soul winning. We have to have gates where people come in and they understand and they're taught and our children understand our heritage from where we've come from. And there has to be a gate when somebody comes in who's hurting that we're not so busy being a church, that I'm not so busy being a pastor, that I'm not so busy being this and being that. We're so busy doing things that we miss that person coming in who's struggling where they're at in life right now. That's our job. That's our job. I am your pastor. Please don't call me pastor. Call me Bob. I'm no better than you. I don't believe there's anybody in here, and I've had guys say, Brother... That's not to have your people call you by your first name. It's degrading to the pastor's office. Have them call you pastor. Have them call you pastor Alexander. Have them call you preacher. Have them call you brother Alexander, but don't have them call you Bob. That, that takes away dignity from the office. I dare to say there's anybody here to think my dignity shattered as a pastor, but you call me Bob. That's my name. I'm Bob. I may be a pastor, but I'm a Bob before I was a pastor. I'm Bob. Now, if you've got a hang-up, you want to call me pastor, that's fine. I don't care. You can call me whatever you want. If you don't call me by Bob, I probably won't look your way when you say my name. But, but call me whatever you want. I don't care. But I'm telling you, I'm just one of you. I'm no better than you. I'm not any higher than you. I may hold an office in this church, but I don't believe there's anybody in this room that doesn't understand that office. And that office has nothing to do with what you call me. It has to do with what we are. 
It has to do with where we are. And it has to do with what we believe about this book, because this book is everything that we need to get us through everything in life. I'm not worried about what we call each other. I'm worried about what we do with each other. How we love each other. How we're there for each other. How that you have a church that you come to that you know people love you unconditionally. We won't love you because you do what's right. We won't just love you when you do what's wrong. We'll just love you all the time no matter what. And we'll try to be to you everything we can be, starting with this group and then moving out as God brings them in because this church has to have a valley gate. We have to have a place where we meet people where they're at and love them where they're at. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.